the more people that are celebrating real ingredients to me is actually a benefit for these categories. You just have to have fortitude. You have to have sort of strength and some time and, you know, conviction. Welcome to the HGW podcast, where your hosts, Zoe Sakutis and Erica Haas, founders of Blueprint Cleanse, the iconic juice brand that sparked a multi-billion dollar category. We bootstrapped, scaled, and sold, and now we're moving on. We put down the juicer and picked up the mic to start a conversation. We'll bring you behind-the-scenes information on leading brands and emerging ideas in this rapidly evolving world of wellness. Every Wednesday, we chat with experts or entrepreneurs who help us cut through the noise to bring you information you can actually use. No shaming, no guilt, just the cold-pressed truth about real ways you can feel better mentally, physically, and emotionally. And bonus... We even share our often humiliating personal experiences, all in the name of your wellness journey. Clinical studies have shown that writing five-star reviews improves mood and circulation. So if you like what you hear, give us some love and share with a friend. Often irreverent and occasionally intuitive, consider us your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Oh, hi, Erica. Oh, hi, Zoe. Oh, getting, uh, getting yourself situated over there? Getting myself situated. I'm about to enjoy a refreshing beverage on this beautiful spring day. Let's see what you got. Oh, oh wow. What's that? <laughs> oh, oh, my. Oh, my God. It's like soda porn. <laughs> wow. Mm, let's just pour that into a cup. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, lovely and delicious. Oh, my gosh. That tastes so good. Does it? Mm-hmm. Good. This you is tell a- everybody what it is. Okay. So, what I'm drinking here is an amazing sparkling beverage called Spindrift. This particular flavor is lime. And what is so amazing about Spindrift is that it's actual lime. Right. Oh my God, what a shock. Real limes were slaughtered for the purpose idea. of this beverage. Right. Real limes have sac- sacrificed their lives. So uh, as simple as it sounds, it's really not that common. No, it's People not. are, would you like some? I would like some. Here, let Indeed. me just. Uh, Thank you. Do you no. mind drinking out of the can? No, not okay. at all. I like these I'm sound effects. Out of the cup. Sound effect action. So, um, so yes, this is not actually an advertisement so no, much as not. it is a kind of uh, rolling out the red carpet for the conversation that we had with the founder of Spindrift, Bill Creelman. Yes. Who we adore and who we met about a year ago in person for the first time, and who I actually knew, but had forgotten because it's been so long that before Spindrift, he was the founder of Stirrings. Mm-hmm. Stirrings is an amazing brand too that he built just straight out of college. And it is a, it's basically, you know, all those mixers. It's sort of like the elevated... Mr. and Mrs. T. Mr. and Mrs. <laughs> T, right? So all the the mixes, like the Bloody Mary mix and the bitters and everything else. So it was a sort of more premium line right. um, before there was... I mean, this is back in like late is, 90s, early 2000s yeah. before really the off. phrase like better for you was even a thing in the consumer goods space. It was just like, <laughs> right. let's actually elevate this disgusting kind of old dusty bottle can, whatever it is. Right. It was, yeah, before entrepreneur was right. kind of... Before entrepreneur was a thing. Was a thing. Before yeah. better for you was a thing. Yeah. Now if you tell someone you're an entrepreneur, they're like, oh, so you don't have a job? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you a consultant? Are you freelance? <laughs> are you, do you have a trust fund? So, <laughs> so, but because yeah, now everyone's an entrepreneur. Right. But Bill is but sort he's of, like he, the one of the original. He's a very successful entrepreneur. Yeah. He's batting a thousand 
Hey, you did it right this uh, time. Thank you. You know, I'm not that good at math. <laughs> <laughs> or baseball. Or baseball. <laughs> but so he's very impressive. And he came and told us his wonderful story yeah. about how he built these two smashing empires. Yeah, it was it was a cool... It was nice to get perspective from someone else who had like, you know, early success, sold his business, and then moved on to the next thing. Oftentimes, you know, it's it's a, it's an odd transition. I think we've we've gone through some of it or we're going through some of it. And being an entrepreneur is one thing. And then being an entrepreneur that has an exit behind you and has your sets your sights on the next thing, there's kind of like a... There's a pressure there. There's like a mind fuck that comes with that, I think. Yeah, there's a little bit of pressure. But uh, so he talks about that. And he's also just a super cool guy. He's like, I feel like I want to have a beer with him. Yeah. You or know? a sparkling beverage with or, fresh juice. Or maybe like a mezcal with or both. sparkling water yeah. in it. Yeah. Let's just bring all the worlds together. Yeah. I want to break bread, Bill. <laughs> um, anyway, so have a listen. Well, it's a good one. It is a good one. And let's have some spindrift. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, partner. Hey, partner. You want to talk about our other partners? Wait, you have another partner other than me? There are a lot of partners in this relationship. Listen, if you want to open it up and, you know, invite people into the circle and have multiple partners, I'm totally down. <laughs> down. Well, whether you are thirsty or hungry or just need to relax, there is actually something for everybody on our partners page, which is at htwpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of brands on there that we love and who are in return showing you some love with up to 25% off when you use the discount codes under our, you guessed it, partners, partners page. page. So we've got products like Cure Hydration, which is a hydration drink mix that is actually more hydrating than an IV drip that and made with real ingredients. Crazy. Yeah. That is totally crazy. And we've got Hungry Root, which is another amazing brand. Healthy, ready-to-eat convenience foods that are delivered straight to your door. We both subscribe and are longtime users and lovers. And speaking of using, we've got Daily Habit, which is a CBD uh, coconut-based powder that you can put into your tea or your smoothie or your coffee or whatever you need to just chill the F out. Mm Mm-hmm which I think we all often need to do. And so again, please go to hwpodcast.com slash partners to check out all of the amazing brands that we love, many more than we just mentioned. And you'll get some amazing discounts along the way. Check it out, guys. Okay, so we are here with Bill Creelman. Welcome. Welcome, Bill. Welcome back. Thank this you. is our second conversation. This is a treat. This is like we, old home week. We got yeah. to do one of our first interviews with you about a year ago at Founder Made when we did our lightning round. Yes. Rapid fire. fire. Yeah, rapid fire yeah. with the founders. And that was awesome. And we were like, but we need more. Yeah. I remember that. That was crazy. That was a you crazy You guys day. were like in a back closet somewhere. Yeah. 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 And I, like, I think I was like supposed to go to a specific time and then... There Everything was, got screwed everyone up. Everyone was so yeah. excited to talk to you. They were oh, I know. so they were lying around down the, the corner. down the door. Beating down the door. Really, it was really a humbling experience. I just yeah. shouted my answers from the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, it's really, uh, we definitely wanted to reconnect with you just Thank because you. there's so much kind of overlap and common ground in our stories too between, you know, getting involved in this like ridiculous, crazy beverage world, specifically with fresh juice, but also the fact that this is not your even your first rodeo. Yeah. We have multiple rodeos under our belt. We do. Under our <laughs> rodeo belt. We're rodeo riders. Well, we've got one big one. 
Oh, one big one. One big one. Yes. <laughs> uh, smaller rodeos in the past and yeah, that future. Yeah, talk about. Yeah, we have a lot of overlap. So we wanted to sort of dig into your sort of, you know, your long form Whoa. story. Likewise, um, there aren't too many people that can talk about fresh squeezing juice and what happens to with passion with yeah pa- the way right I, this is a very this but I'm, I'm not sure we could fill the loft with the number of people that sort of have that unique experience the way we do especially all having gotten started in bars if i'm not yeah incorrect. true oh <laughs> no. yeah what is we your do bar share that yeah what is your bar all right let's take it take us back to the beginning Extra oh no, Boston, nineteen forty-two. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. Yeah, I, I, um, so, but my bar specific experience was <clears throat> when I was at Georgetown. I was desperate to make some extra money. Uh, I think, as you know, as we all are in college, and I, and while in the summer I was working in the fishing industry, which was a really formative time for me, just uh, being around fish and working on an island, you know, servicing the restaurants and all that sort of stuff. But during the year, I didn't have anything, any outlet. And so I had, I think, was also interested in going to bars and uh, became probably a frequent customer at a certain point. But then realized that the way that Georgetown students migrated, they tended to go to like one or two or three bars that all their friends went to and the friends were usually bartending. So I thought, okay, well, maybe I can try to incent a restaurant or a bar into attracting Georgetown kids down by working there and offering them my time and services in exchange for a whole bunch of kids uh, coming down. And it was literally that simple. I went door to door and this is, you know, I could tell this story. This, This theme exists across most of my early life of sort of knocking on doors and trying to to turn some an idea. So you're like a, a promoter. You're kind of like a It's funny I'm not I'm really not a promoter in that way. I'm not I'm I'm actually not the person that loves being out in front of a crowd sort of yelling out like, you know, are you with me tonight type of a thing. <laughs> um, but I do I'm interested in the intersection of of like commerce and what people are interested in mm-hmm. and I think that's probably more of the common thread. But so sure enough, I set up camp at a bar in Georgetown and for, called Chadwick's. If you ever, I think it's still in business. And if you ever, uh, yes, if you ever go down there and we, we had a bunch of kids showed up and it turned out to be, so that was really my intro. And then I, you know, after I graduated, I got into a couple of other sort of side businesses, all related to food, and then eventually became stirring. What were you um, studying in school? I was an English major. Oh. Yeah. I was an English major and I, I didn't, I, the only business class I took was um, I like sort of stole across campus and Georgetown divides their undergrads up into five schools and they have a business school and I was not, I was in the college so they didn't offer really any business specific programs, but there was an entrepreneurship class that, wow. that I became really interested in. And it was actually, if you have two minutes, it was a kind of an interesting story. So the teacher, the you had one assignment for the whole, whole semester, and that was to hand in a business plan, which I think is a fairly common curriculum for entrepreneurship classes. My teacher had invented the mini bar. So he literally was the guy that came up with the idea of putting a mini bar wow. into Seriously? hotel rooms. Wow. Had done very well. It was called Servi Bar. And... Uh, 
but he had unfortunately developed brain cancer and had to have like a partial lobotomy to have his Ugh. brain part- partially removed. And the, they removed Jeez. his memory lobe. <gasps> and so he was oh brilliant, could still run a business entirely, but could not really carry a memory day to day. Wow. So short term and long term, so no recall. No recall. Uh, His long term was still partially intact. It was more, I think, affected his short term. Wow. Mm. And so it was this kind of surreal experience where you'd go in and teach the class and then the next day he may come in and didn't know (laughs) precisely what he'd tell you the day before. But I fell in love with the guy and I fell in love with Bob Benson and, and fell in love with entrepreneurship as a like in a more formal way and actually wrote the business plan that I ultimately left school, drove home and started and have never had a real job since. So I've that was only ever tried to, you wrote a so business plan for stirring. Wow. It was a different version, but it eventually became stirring. That's incredible. And yeah. did your professor want like any percentage of that? He did not. He was such a good, he was so supportive though. And it was, That's you know, really cool. the, um, it's funny to talk about full circle. So this weekend, Georgetown is hosting their John Carroll weekend up in Boston. And I'm on a kind of a Shark Tank style panel where a whole bunch of new entrepreneurs are presenting. And my for my final project when I was, so this 96, uh, when I was graduated, I had to present my idea to a, a group of investors and founders. And I invited my girlfriend at the time, now wife, to stand in the back of the room because I said, I'm going to really blow the door. You know, the cover's off. It's going to be an amazing presentation. I'd really, I'd love to have you come. <laughs> Just stand managing and expectations. Watch. Mm, yeah. Like, you know, not for nothing, <laughs> but watch out. <laughs> and so I was the last person to present and they had run, they were running short on time. And so this guy, Bob Benson, and, um, you know, I stand up within 30 seconds. He gives me the, the watch sign, like, you better move Wrap this up, along. Yeah. So I literally, huh. I took that to mean I had like literally 45 seconds to present, you know, what was a hundred page business plan. <laughs> so I ripped through it. The judges had no idea any of this was going on. And they sort of stopped at the end and said, is that, is that it? Is that, you don't seem that interested in this business. Why did you just rush through that entire business plan? All of your classmates did this great job and you sort of, you know, fumbled through it. And I, I, I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I you know, I was, there was, the teacher was in the back of the room telling me to, and they said, well, I was, you know, really disappointing. You know, we don't really have a great feel. And I, I just oh my God. Like, left, walked out. I was like, oh my <gasps> oh, God. Oh man. What have I done? And your wife and I, was like, and my wife was like, like yeah, totally. She, I think I'm going to marry. Just, I think we're done here. <laughs> she's left out. I think this relationship but, is I mean, right. its course. I feel like you invented the elevator pitch in that like experience, right? Well, can't you spin it that the, way? The lesson that came out of it was so clear and I've reminded of continuously, which is you never know, you know, uh, when you need to be on and selling and pitching and even if someone's standing in the background saying, keep oh, it moving, you need to oh, be um, always selling. So. <laughs> That's like what Erica did to me at her wedding, actually, when she, um, for the speeches. She's like, mm, why don't I put Zoe, who's three months pregnant, on last? No one knows she's pregnant. She can't drink. That was so brutal. Oh my gosh. I was like, by the time I got up there, it was 11 o'clock. Everyone was 
wasted. wasted. They, and I'm just like, all I want to do is go home and go to sleep because I want to throw up all over myself because I'm three months pregnant. They say to shorten your speech by a minute for every drink that you're... Oh, well, I thought I was doing everybody so a favor by putting on the only coherent person in the room. <laughs> oh, was that that process? Yeah. You think I set out to screw you over and make you look like an idiot? No, 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 no. I did that by myself. That is no, amazing. This is like years that, later. You're still upset about this. Listen, yes. we're going to take this offline. Um, but yes, that's a good point. Always have a speech you, you ready. You always need to be... Like three different versions yeah. of that speech. Yeah. Long, Long medium, short. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Medium. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. And so your wife, you guys are still together though. So there is a happy Apparently, ending. Yeah, we, we made up after. <laughs> it took a lot of years, in fact. <laughs> and ironically, just to close. So this weekend, I, I said, do you want to come and, and sort of we can reconcile this, you know, stage fright or this horrible experience I had. And she's like, I, I, no, I don't, no. Need, I don't need to see you. She passed. I don't need to see you. <laughs> she's like, again, in front of a group. So how did so, it go? Uh, it's this weekend. So it's oh, coming. Oh, it's coming. Yeah, it's oh, I thought you meant it just happened. Yeah, no, it's coming okay, up. Got so it. I'll cool. let you know. Cool. But I feel like you speak often in front of, you're kind of like a BevNet darling. Oh, gosh. I don't, so with BevNet specifically, I, I have great fondness for those guys. I mean, they're right, right in Boston, yeah. right down the yeah. street from us. <clears throat> they're, I think, super talented guys. <clears throat> they play this very strange role in the ecosystem of what we all do because they, you know, they are sort of, they have a, you know, their, their opinion matters and they have strong opinions yeah. at times. And so, <clears throat> you know, we've, we, so it's funny. So in the beginning, we actually avoided BevNet because I didn't want anyone to know about our idea. And I do think overexposing, first spin drift, okay. yeah. And I think overexposing yourself early on before you have distribution is, is a real misstep. Yeah. So what's the danger there? So the danger is, and now you're, I mean, <clears throat> you know, we're just, just look at all of the, feels like all of the recent trends is that you have a great idea your distribution isn't ready yet. Mm -hmm. So all you're doing is educating a lot of people about a great, you know, an interesting idea. And while you're getting your act together and getting your co-packers sorted or you're solving a supply chain issue, there's seven other versions of your business that are being set up and right. launched. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, we're all paranoid in that way. But why would I want to, until we were ready at Spender, if we really didn't want to announce the opportunity mm -hmm. and I think we, you know, we sort of hid from from BevNet and I would say from conferences and, mm -hmm. you know, anything really in the beginning until we felt confident that we could service our customers nationally. Right. Yeah. So the idea is you're not, I mean, I think this is an interesting topic because I feel like we've grappled with this in the past a lot. We've always been super protective of, yeah. of you know, any ideas that we've had uh, not talking about it except with, you know, among our own personal, like private circle sure. because of fear of, you know, competitors or yeah. listening. And the truth is just what you said, like there are seven other versions of your business, no matter what it is, yeah. most likely happening at all times. So yeah, you don't want to tip your hat, your hand and sort of allow any additional insight that might allow, get let somebody get a leg up. Yeah. But you also have to find the right time to reach out to these relationships you have, whether it's a BevNet or for us, yeah. it was often like well and good yeah. to say like, we really want to work with you guys. We, you know, we respect what you're doing and obviously, you know, the impact that you have on the readership or the community. And it's a very delicate dance because 
Like, I mean, what in your mind, what is the right time? Well, I'll tell you, it even 2011, we were a year and a half into our business and we heard about a spindrift starting on the West Coast. Same idea, fresh squeezing juice, rushing it to a production facility. Um, you know, we heard about it through some suppliers, some of our co-packers um, who had been approached. And those are often like the gatekeepers right. of all this information totally. as manufacturers. By the way, absolutely. Yeah. And we, we said... You know, holy smokes, we can't, we can't let this happen. We can't let, you know, what is, you know, so often happen across these categories happen to us. We're not even, we're a year and a half into our business. Mm -hmm. So we actually overreacted and launched an entirely California-based supply chain for the business. We, fret, we, got, we were already getting our produce from there, but we set up a supplier. We set up all of our distributors two years probably a year to two years earlier than we would have. And we brought on this terrific woman, Shelly, who was our first employee. And all she did was focus on getting that business going. <clears throat> so I was trying to sell in the East around Boston. And the East Coast, she was trying to sell in the West with, with the sole purpose of making sure that wow. the opportunity wasn't split in half. Because, and I think what we, you know, this is where having done this, for a few years before, really, I think it was helpful because we knew, you know, as soon as you're not the first person to tell the story of using real ingredients and sparkling beverages, your your yeah. gap to close is just much, much harder and longer. Mm -hmm. It's it's the you know, and so that turned out it worked, and the company ended up not uh, continuing, and we you know we that's so a huge risk. It turned out to be the have... right. Oh. It was, I mean, you can imagine every time you run, which side are we running? I mean, there's only two of us. Where are we running? Yeah. Where's the glass? You know, where, where, you know, with the time we were refrigerated soda, so we had to keep it cold. It had a short shelf life. I mean, it was, it was complexity unlike we really fully understood when yeah. we made the decision. But it's hard to argue that, in retrospect, it wasn't the right decision. Right. I think we would have probably done it again. Um, That's so interesting because it's the. You know, the low barrier to entry in juice is not that similar in sparkling water. Yeah. So you really do have to run as fast as you can and be hyper-paranoid about competition. Yeah. But we didn't have... So when we started, we there was no juice category yet. So we were... Therefore, there was no co-packer. There was no manufacturer. Yeah. So we had to build out our own production facilities. So that was the one thing that somewhat insulated us yeah. from <laughs> competition. But you guys don't, you know, have that... Well, you do. You are sort of... You have your own facility, oh, right? We, so we do. By the way, your type of innovation to me is why I'm in this business. I mean, white paper innovation... To me, is really innovation. Like seeing a trend and being like, "We're going to do exactly what someone else is already doing, but put a different spin on it." To me, is not that sort of fast follow is not what I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. So, you guys were. It's much harder. <laughs> you got to build a plant. Yeah, you got to yeah, come up with several. a name. You got to yeah. find the regulation. Or is this even legal? We don't. Not sure. Yeah, I mean, turns that out it me, was. <laughs> <laughs> but that to me is like super fun and interesting. So. Thank here's, you. Yeah, yeah no, I really mean it. So here's what I would say: like we, so we, when we, so when we started, there was no 12 month supply fresh of a lot of things we needed. So we ran for the first two and a half years out of one gallon in containers of freshly squeezed oranges, lemons, grapes. I mean, it was literally dumping them in like yeah. this. So, so it was complicated. 
uh, um, tedious. We we were not popular with any of our COPAC partners because it was so hard compared to what they were used to. We were clogging the lines continuously, the pulp, because the pulp is just a constant challenge. But it was really only because of those proof points that we knew that what we were doing was different. Because everywhere we went, someone said, we've never done this before. Right. Um, so... The difference, I think, though, between what you did and what we did is that there is a massive infrastructure of sparkling water production capability in this country because a lot of it's the old soda infrastructure that's now being repurposed. And a lot of it's also being repurposed for energy drinks because they also have a light, most of them have a light carbonation. So, you know what we had to decide was where do we want to innovate? And we didn't think on the downstream side that, you know, the soda, the mechanics that support a soda or sparkling water production was where we were going to add a lot of value. Where we were going to add value is doing it in a totally different way, kind of upstream and kind of around that equipment. And so ultimately, we that's what we did. We we basically invented or or reimagined all the front end juice you know when the truck comes in it gets tipped over and the oranges roll out onto a conveyor system and then get wheeled up into a building and then there's the cup and ball and they squeeze out over and over and over we figured out how to okay now we got to get that slurry of juice we got to get it in a less expensive and easier way to handle than the one gallon containers and we got to keep it cold and we got to know exactly what the microbial you know, incidences and we got to get it everywhere safely and deliciously. Um, and that's where we concentrated a lot of our time and energy. And once we had that, we knew that anyone that went after us would be crazy to try and figure it out. <laughs> You're like, because, sucks. because we lost, yeah. you know, nights, weekends, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it was, it was, we, you know, we live, we've lived, we have literally lived in, you know, these juice facilities and these co-packers I mean, right now we're running in, I can look at my, we're running, we are 24 hours a day making sure that the juice arrives, it's staged, it's ready to go. And it's oh, a 24 hour day. keeps you up at night, the, like uh, seven day week. Because you, that's what you have to do. You have yeah. to have that level. Yeah, you really do. So there's something really luxurious about, you know, turning over the keys. This moment yeah. right now in the beverage space where there's so many co-packers and, Manufacturers, but they also they have so much power. Yeah. I mean, did you guys have an exclusive with you know any? Co-packers? Yeah, I think it's gotten really challenging recently. So we, I, I you know every so what was how we started in glass as did you know I think a lot of other folks and um, and then began converting to cans in like 2012 sort of time, but now everyone's flipped to cans, and I mean, um, what precipitated that transition for you? So you can only run a real sparkling water in glass or cans. So if you see something in plastic, it's going to be a natural flavor. It doesn't, you can run that, mm. you know, in, under any conditions. So, um, so we knew the glass was a challenge, just the weight of it. It's, it's a great barrier for oxygen. It's just not, it's, it's a hard, it didn't, we didn't feel like it communicated exactly what we wanted to say. And so cans proved to be a better, it, you know, done well. It delivers the same product in a less expensive, it's more environmentally friendly. Mm-hmm. It's got a more better payload. It can fit in the truck 
mm-hmm. better. So, so that was what that was really why why we went to cans. But on the Copac side, now all the craft beer guys are in cans. All the you know, you look at kombuchas going like there's been this huge shift back to cans, and that's actually really compressed a lot of the Copac availability. So you're absolutely right. These guys do now have leverage for sure. And we've done it, I guess, the way we like to do it, which is we form partners. I mean, we really have, we've chosen some amazing partners, people that really love what we're doing, believe we're the future of, you know, part of the future of this category. And so it's not a transactional relationship. We work with them the way they're, they're our most important supply mm-hmm. relationship because mm-hmm. you got you got to love sparkling water with real ingredients to, in order to in order to want to continually produce produce us so how do you how are you distributing because you're still doing both glass and cans right no now we're just cans oh you're just cans just okay cans, so you yeah. face as that. of uh, yeah last last year right? okay because that's just I mean how do you it's like two different businesses it is well for us so we started as a food service first business I mean we for the first you know, three or four years of our business, all we did was focus on really the only people that we made sense to, which was the fast emerging, fast casual mm-hmm. world. So the sweet greens, the diggins, uh, the right, Chipotle's yeah. chopped Panera. These were the guys that were <clears throat> really telling you what what was going in your lunch, and and, and they were they were looking for products like ours. In fact, our first batch of of sparkling water, we actually shipped the entire batch to Sweet Green, mm-hmm. and they put it in their DC stores and gave us incredible feedback. Hey, this was great. This wasn't, you know, we'd love to do this different. And as a result of that, we really sort of grew up with a lot of these guys. And and for us, it was just an incredible backdrop for mm-hmm. for the brand. But refrigerated glass is not a great long-term solution for retail, mm-hmm. you know? And so that we started looking at cans pretty early and then said, okay, let's let's really make this something. We, of course, had to not be refrigerated. So that was the other part. We had to figure out how to make our product shelf stable, which also happened in sort of 13, 14. Mm-hmm. And so that allowed for the transition. And then I think the thing we've done pretty well over the years is really like, as we were saying to start out, it's so hard to be different in this category and this in beverage broadly. And so when we finally got to a sparkling water that tasted good, that didn't have artificial or natural flavors or colors or any of that kind of stuff, and we find it, and it was like an interesting product on its own. It, we, we really felt we had to go all in on that profile. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to have... We didn't want to be confused by a soda and a natural, and then a sparkling water. Can you talk a little bit more about natural flavors? Because I think that's where people get really confused in terms of like, it sounds like a nice thing, but yeah. we, well, there's nobody a lot of, really right, there's understands like, what it is and what it's not. Because it never really says what it is. It's right. just it's natural. Yeah. Vague, it's a catch-all. Yeah. So what natural flavors are is, I think I'm sure you guys know, but just is basically this designation that the FDA has come up with to describe <clears throat> a whole bunch of ingredients um, that are that are uh, not that they don't regulate. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> they tend to be like uh, they tend to be a smaller percentage of these products. They 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 
maybe are are more compound in nature. Mm. So they have something called FEMA, which is does not the FEMA um, response, not the relief, not yeah. the relief fund, but it's the Flavor and Extract Manufacturing Association. I think is the acronym, and and they regulate these these ingredients. So, but. I don't even, you know, we don't know what other people are doing. All I know is I use natural flavors in the first for the first two and a half, three years of Spindrift. And they will not tell you what's in your natural flavor. Mm-hmm. So you say, I want a lemon or an orange or, you know, whatever. And they'll say, oh, we got the best orange flavor for you. You got to try this. It's dynamite. And they send it to you and you say, oh, great. You know, we're getting some questions from consumers. Will you tell us actually what it actually is? It must be uh, grapefruit skin or peel or whatever. And they say, no, we're, we're not. It's their proprietary. Gonna, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, we're not going to tell you. So, you know, after the first few times and calling around, you say, oh, it must be just this one supplier. The reality is, is they will not disclose any of it to you. Yeah. And what you come to find out is there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's going in that's sort of masked as a natural flavor. It's natural to the extent that FEMA is designated to be natural. We don't, really try to go against any of those guys. I don't even know. I couldn't tell you what any of our competitors have in their product. All I know is that my feeling is we have an obligation as a brand. We want to develop a relationship of trust with our consumer. In 2019, you can't not tell a consumer what is in your product. Right. I'm sorry. There's yeah, it doesn't work. there's no excuse for that, and and really, so we, we have you know we've been very outspoken about it, and again, what we've what we've sort of come back to is like let's let everyone else kind of do their thing, and and, and I'm sure they're, you know they're 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 diving into what's in their product, not natural necessarily. We're just we're we want to be the brand that is that is about two things: sparkling water and unsweetened, and that is a profile, and about transparency and authenticity. Mm-hmm. And so, that's that's our our main mission. Yeah, and I think that that's it's like it's not to knock other brands necessarily. It's more about just empowering a consumer with information that is their every right to have, which is like, what am I consuming? Totally. So it's almost I think about I think about consumers like friends like people like we're sitting around and talking i mean if if you if someone if someone's like cordons off part of who they are and doesn't let you in and it's some secret they just there's just a weird disclosure question and i i only know this because i was on that side i mean stirrings we had natural flavors all my like there was no thought that it wasn't anything other than what you know something innocuous and then and so when we made the decision to you know, it took us almost two years to figure out how to make our products the way they're made without the use of colors or flavors or any of these things. You know, you realize how powerful they are. I mean, they are incredibly, they, they played a really important role in this business. And so anyway, that's- Yeah, you just kind of, you have to let people decide for themselves. That's yeah. all it's yeah. about. It's like, that's right. it's, it's not necessarily bad, but wouldn't yeah. you rather know than not know that's what's right. in this? So. That's right, that's it. It's kind of like the same way I feel about people who wear too much perfume or cologne. <laughs> like, what are you hiding? Exactly. It's my natural aroma. Yeah. I just, I, I'm yeah. always like, what? What are you, what are you trying to cover up there? It's, it's just true. a total turn off. Yeah. It is. Something so unappetizing great. about that. Yeah. So how do you continue to innovate with something that's so transparent and pure and out there? Our innovation philosophy 
uh, is to take you know well-known categories, categories that that people would understand coming in. Everyone's seen a lemon or a lime sparkling water before, but do it in mind-blowing ways. I mean, that's the you know that's that has always kind of been our philosophy from the very beginning. So. Not all of them have worked. I mean, we've retired our watermelon sparkling water, much to the dismay of a very small but passionate <laughs> group. Because I believe that the blackberry is mind blowing. The blackberry, yeah, is, it is pretty good. Is our is one of my absolute favorites. I think it's even on my signature line on my email. Um, <laughs> favorite sparkling water. Um, we discontinued the tangerine because it just it tasted kind of off in our didn't taste like the way we wanted it to taste. So so we are on a never-ending quest to to kind of finish that job. I also think there's fun innovation, like our half and half, the iced tea mm-hmm. um, product was our first kind of step away from that philosophy a little bit to say like, all right, we also kind of like tea and we like sparkling water. And so what if we could figure out a way to make tea, which is pretty bitter, typically... Um, make it palatable and refreshing because we didn't we didn't want it to just be we we had to make sure it was satisfying to that consumer that was looking for it as something that's as a refreshment so are you you're making these decisions purely just based on your on the turns right so there's nothing else like well, so when you decide to get rid of watermelon how many skews oh, do you have right now we have 10 okay <clears throat> we have 10 no we i think what you're asking is like how much education do we want to do? Because that is a question we ask ourselves a lot. Almost all of our products, there, there is no reference point for product, you know, flavor, flavor-wise, ingredient-wise, to generally. So it's not like you can say, "God, that tastes just like some other thing I've mm-hmm. had." Other than maybe in the case like we, what we, when we develop, we literally take fresh lime juice, squeeze it in a sparkling water, and say, "Have we successfully <clears throat> carried that experience over?" So we, in the case of the watermelon and the tangerine, it was so different than what the consumer's expectation was. For watermelon, the consumer's expectation was a Jolly Rancher. I mean, oh, really. right. That's and a it, sad commentary on what people think watermelon is like. <laughs> but it really is more of a cucumber flavor. Yeah. I mean, that that's yeah. really what it... The rind. If you yeah. were to... The, right. Yeah, that's like undetected. If you do a blind test, if you do, like yeah. watermelon and cucumber are very and, similar. And, and you don't know that when you're enjoying a you know watermelon on a summer day. And if you stay with watermelon long enough, you actually, you'll start to detect it. And sure enough, like from a, from a genealogy, you know, kind of, Cousin standpoint, it's the clo- they're the closest to each other. That turns out the consumer wasn't ready for it. Sometimes they're just not ready. They're just not ready. <laughs> um, Did you guys have any flavors that you were uh, like were way ahead of where where you where the consumer was or didn't meet their expectations? No, we had more just stuff that like we wanted to get out into the pipeline that just. Didn't have an opportunity. Well, to sort shine. of just like different verticals, but I think yeah, yeah there wasn't really one one flavor. I mean, you know, we started as a cleanse; so it was an actual program. Um, yeah. So I think we we prepped people, you know, at least in the beginning, like this isn't necessarily supposed to be delicious; it's supposed right. to be healthy. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, like right. it, choke it down if you don't like it's it. It's so interesting. Um, <laughs> right. So true. it's a different behavior. But, but, so, yeah. but but had any when you developed pineapple mint or the cayenne? Like, was there any? 
Did you have something that you were matching or was that just all no, there white was no, paper? No, there was no parody all, there. All so great. White paper. Yeah. White yeah. paper and palettes. I mean, yeah. Yes. How is it being the first mover? And I mean, you said, you know, before you're not really interested in like, you the know, copying follow. or, you know, right. slightly improving upon something that already exists and like doing your take on it. You want like the white paper innovation. Yeah. Want to be the sort of category creator? Try. Yeah, we try. I mean, so, not, it but, hasn't always gone well. By the way, I'm not, yeah. it's not. I'm not necessarily recommending that. But what is the? I mean, so as as you know, people who also created a category and who are now interested in re-entering, you know, in with a different product, obviously. But is it a sparkling water? It's please? not a sparkling water. I promise, story. <laughs> So, uh, no. This is about to get really (laughs) You're like, I gotta go. (laughs) So, the the question was, there's something very attractive to me right now looking at the space and thinking, um, you know, do I want to be the category creator here? Like, do you want to be the first mover? Or maybe we sort of take a beat and say like, let's think about how advantageous it is to like have the second mover advantage and all the people who came after us, like the Suja and the, you know, yeah. everyone else who just crushed it. I mean, they completely eclipsed us. You know, we were gone at that point, but there's so many advantages. What do you think is like, what do you think are the advantages and disadvantages of being the first mover? Yeah, it's a great question. So you truly only know the answer to that, like with the benefit of time because I'm sure as you right. guys have gotten further away from it. Beginning, it's hard, right? I mean, what you're basically signing up for is all of that education that you now either have to pay for in the sense of to pay for it through time, through money, through just, you know, and and the, the cuts and bruises, you know, along the way. <clears throat> it's funny, even, even just recently at the office, we were talking about, you know, consumer reacting to our product. I mean, there's, there is no reference point, so... When someone tries our product, if they've had the 214 other sparkling waters, there's a group of consumers say like, gosh, I don't, I don't recognize this. I don't even know what to do with this taste profile. Mm-hmm. Is it, is it uh, refreshing? Is it, you know, it's, it's just very different than what they're used to. So, so I think first off, you're, you're signing up if you're going to take the path um, that we're talking about. You're signing up for a longer run, I would say, almost without question. So you want to prepare for that in your plan. And that's part of that, like staying quiet for a period of time, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, working out the details, making sure you're really listening hard, getting feedback, understanding are the consumers liking what you're doing? Are they not? If so, who? One of the things I talk about, especially early on with businesses like Blueprint and Spinner, is like just living where the consumer is and watching what they're doing. I still spend a disproportionate amount of time just out watching consumers respond to our product and why are they putting it down and why are they not. But with real innovation, you have to, I think, be even a better listener mm-hmm. because you're going to learn, you're you're creating the language for It's this. like watching a baby see something it's for the first totally. time. I mean, it really is like a real absorption of information. It's, yeah, it really is. And you, you have to be, you know, you have to be humble. You have to retire things quickly that are not maybe that great. And you have to be prepared to pounce when you really, you know, hit it. And yeah. um, so I think I think time is the first one. I would say you have to, I think, design your organization and kind of set everyone's like 
timeline around that? I mean, if you look at now, a lot of the innovation that's coming in today, it's like coming in with a lot of funding. It's around a certain idea that's, you know, starting to take shape. And, and it's about like, how fast can I make that happen? That, that mindset doesn't really apply with white paper innovation. I mean, there's just, if you don't, like we wouldn't, Spinner would have never been, if we had gone hard in 2010 with, you know, national rollouts and, you know, trying to go everywhere quickly on that day, we would, the, the consumer wasn't, wasn't ready. Yeah. I mean, we needed sparkling water to come around a little bit. We needed mm-hmm. you guys to educate people yeah, about real ingredients and the, the other people. Kombucha, I think needed, you know, people needed to see fruit floating and sparkling beverages. Right. I, I really feel that. Yeah. I, I sincerely feel that way. So we we had to like, wait, 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 wait. And then when we saw that the opportunity was emerging, I think we were prepared to then shoot the gap to basically be able to move fast, move nationally. And but remain, I hope, remain authentic. Mm-hmm. You know, we haven't changed our process. We still do it the same way. We have all of our same partners. So so that gestation period was critical for our brand. You you can't do both though. Like, you know, there's a lot of brands I think probably were in some ways, you know, brands now are getting overfunded like through some of these really hard times. And so it may look like it wasn't a successful idea, but it just was maybe a little early and had they waited or, you know, or, uh, and then they come in, or if you wait, you come in too, and yeah. too late at the back end of a timing trend. Timing is now really so critical. So timing comes into it too. So I, I guess what I, I mean, how do you know though, right? You can't look back and say, gee, you know, we did it just the way. I mean, we didn't know at the time. We didn't, we weren't even sure we were going to be a sparkling water company. I mean, we didn't. So you have to, I think, be uh, aware enough of what's working, what's not working. And I guess... Um, have a strategy that makes sense for the type of product you're thinking about. Mm-hmm. So just looking at your kind of trajectory on the whole, you've had experience now in the spirits category, not specifically with a spirit because Stirrings yeah. itself was not an alcoholic product, but obviously that's the sandbox that you're playing in. So how do you think about the two worlds and what do you feel like you kind of liked about that versus where you are now and vice versa? I think, I mean, there are, there's a lot of similarities for sure. I mean, they're branded products. They're very visible. They're used in a fun way in people's lives. And and I've loved them both for different reasons. The main difference with, from a business standpoint, is that liquor is controlled. You know, it's, it's the three-tier system. There's no way around it. And so you end up having to build a system to support your business where sparkling water, there were more options in terms of how we could go to market. It wasn't just, you know, the two or three liquor distributors that are in my state. And so I guess I think you just the rules of engagement are a little bit different. I, I personally have come to really like being like very independent, being able to make decisions, not being kind of confined to a system. I think that's mm-hmm. hard. You become frustrated. I think if you stay in this business long enough with like the systems that are sort of built to control you. So, but I, I, I think they're, I think the, the common thread part of it is really kind of what brought me back a second time, just recognizing that there was a role to play and really sort of, you know, mixers was a really sleepy category 
kind of mm-hmm. dusty bottles back of the store, not getting a lot of time or attention. And, you know, it seemed like there was an opportunity to really make something a product of value. And sparkling water was the same. You know, our youngest competitors, 40 years old, you know, and and then most two, 10 of the top 20 brands are started in the 17 or 1800s. So for me, that's wow. those are the types of things you look for. You're like, wow, okay, this is, this is definitely this feels like an opportunity to come in and do something a little bit different. Mm -hmm. What do you think about, speaking of sparkling water and the spirits category, what is your, what's your opinion on the sort of new explosive category that is these, you know, ready to drink cocktail mixes? Spikes, Spike Seltzer. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, I'm a a fan. I mean, I think there's, so funny enough, we actually wrote a business plan for Spindrift with alcohol in 2009 and 10. Oh, decided to not do it. Um, because it was just too distracting or because it didn't make it? We just couldn't do both well. <clears throat> so we worked on it for a while and then decided to kind of leave it on its on, on to, off to the side. So I, I like it a lot. I think it's a really interesting space. I think, you know, I think that the, the connection between the two trends is consumers just are not, don't feel confined to the norms that they used to. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, as a kid growing up, everyone drank, beer, you know, maybe at a, you know, you sort of did, you had this behavior that was expected. And how I don't, I don't think, I think people are, feel much more liberated to go out and try different things in the format. Okay. Is it a beer? Is it a kombucha? Is it a sparkling? It's not really, it just should taste good. It needs to meet the health criteria, in my opinion, that, that are, that's being met in the rest of their lives. You know, it's the days of like eating really healthy and then having like a really bad, alcoholic or non-alcoholic drink, I think are gone. And so if, if a sparkling water with some, some alcohol or a pre-mixed cocktail with some alcohol like sort of ch- checks all those boxes, I think, I think it, which I think it does, I think it's going to continue to be exciting for a while. So um, yeah, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> what other trends, what, what are the other trends that you think are going <laughs> to... They're going to pop. Off. Yeah. What are your trends? I, I mean, these you, are, you know, these are obviously the ones. I mean, for me, I continue to be really interested in, you know, auth- authenticating categories. So on the sparkling side, it feels like there's still, <clears throat> you know, a long way to go. If you look at, if you look at kind of peripheral categories that, that still don't have like a real ingredient, a true real ingredient proposition, um, you know, those are interesting. I think, so I, I think it's, I think the trend that we're seeing now across all of these categories is the same, which is like simplifying the ingredient deck, stripping away this, the flavor systems and just the stuff that the fillers, the things that don't need to be there. And then unveiling them as the real, as the real thing, as the, as the kind of food as it should be mm-hmm. type mentality. Yeah. Um, it's funny because it's not, you say it's innovation. It's not innovation. It's it's really, a, in some ways, a return to the yeah, way things simplification, were. I think. Simplification. It's yeah. the way they were intended. But, you know, I let, you know what <clears throat> what Sir Kensington's and RX Bar did to a certain primal kitchen, like these proudly displaying what's in your product, that to me is is really fun and yeah. 
it feels like there's still a lot of work to do around that. Yeah, it all comes back to transparency, which is sort of how we started talking yeah. about this. So. You're like, you're welcome, RX Bar. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, they had a very interesting distribution entry. I mean, how they started, not trying to take anything away from the quality of their bar, but their their, their approach was, was very was very familiar. Yeah, unique. Interested to know how, if you were starting right now, if you were entering, and I'm selfishly asking this question, <laughs> as you can already tell. <laughs> so if, if you, you were to, me. If you were me. So if you're entering uh, with the beverage right now, in terms of a sales and distribution approach, and to everyone out there who's listening, <laughs> who, is, who has an idea, <laughs> came to this town with a beverage and a dream, how are you going to, so it's different, right? Like the again, not to compare everything back to like 2009, but it was quite a different world then in terms of getting your product out there, right? There was sure. no social media, the online direct consumer was not really happening like it is today. Yeah. And Whole Foods has changed uh, dramatically, right? Mm-hmm. So Amazon and Whole Foods have shifted kind of everything when you're thinking about how to <clears throat> enter the market. Sure. So even with Blueprint, you know, it was just like, why? Why on earth would we go go on Amazon? Even if we could, you know, in terms of perishability, but like, but you guys take had all your a money. Pretty big direct business, right? Yeah. We had a we started with direct, and then and um, were, for like, like three it, full years. But it, and that was like pretty ahead of its time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. Because um, I remember thinking like, oh wait, the only way to get this is to in the yeah. mail. Yeah. Call like an eight hundred number or whatever. Yeah. I guess there was a website. But, there was a website. It was very. But that was a. I mean, that was a significant. Until you got into Whole Foods, that right. was a pretty significant part yeah. of your business. That was our business. That and was your business. That was our business. Whole yeah. Foods was our first entry point, and it very quickly. I mean, once we entered that the retail, it was just we. It eclipsed the direct consumer business fairly quickly. But so, I'm just curious. You know, like Amazon is very expensive. If you have a product that's new. That's shelf stable. That's, you know, doesn't need to be cold chain. Do you just go straight to Amazon? Do you go straight to just sort of the biggest, just to get the eyeballs and say, we'll catch up later? I mean, I think the instincts that you had for Blueprint are exactly the right instincts, which was you didn't get into the business to be direct by mail. It was just the only way to get it done, right? It was sort of what was necessary at the time. No one was looking for your type of product, but consumers were thinking about it. And you had a a small but passionate group of people that were willing to spend whatever costs to get this really delicious, simple, healthy product delivered to them. I mean, that was so that to me that the, the that need exists. It's just being met differently now. Mm-hmm. Now you could go to Amazon. Now you could go to <clears throat> Fresh Direct or some other place to do it. So I don't I don't know that I think about it quite the same way. I mean, to me, I, I think about it as I want to get to the c- consumer in the most direct way that I can and have a relationship with them with as few people between me and you as possible. Right. And I want to talk to you this way. I think if I talk to you, you're going to be interested in my story. So that whatever this product, hypothetical product is, like it's going to require a different set of tools to kind of get to that solve. And there may be a regulatory component to CBD mm-hmm. or, or liquor. There may be a weight size component to it if it's a restriction, if it's heavy or doesn't ship or it's perish, whatever. So, but either way, the the need doesn't change. You, you you have something great. You want people to f- 
try it and, and, and experience it in the most authentic, in a way that you had intended it to be experienced. And you want to just be relentless in terms of creating that experience. I don't know if it's Am- like Amazon is amazing. They, they can be an incredible solve, but there may be other solutions as well. I think, I also think the geography that you're trying to service plays a big role. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, are you just going after this like really tight area because it's, it's really only appealing or, or maybe it's the other way where it's a particular consumer type, someone that's, you know, into a particular type of health and nutrition and you want to target like, so it's not a geographical kind of scope. It's a more of a consumer scope. So these are all the things I guess that I would sort of wrestle with, but I think where you started, you ultimately figured it out some way to, to do it. Because I think all that hard work for those three years was why people right. went nuts when it showed up and were ready to spend $10 for right. juice. And, yeah. I yeah. mean, there's an argument exactly. to be made for like, you go where your consumers are. So if they're now on Amazon where they didn't used to be, then, you know, that is yeah. kind of where you need to be. But I don't, I don't think anyone knows where their consumers are until they launch. I think that's right. Because I, I wouldn't, you know, going back to what we talked about before, like I think you have to be, be, go in with a, stra- a, th- a thought thesis as to where they probably are. But then you're going to be, always be surprised, you yeah. know, who, who responds to your product. Well, it's probably a good place to wind it up anyway. I feel like this has been very, very interesting just hearing the full experience that you've had. I'm not even um, sure we just covered a lot of Well, no, but I think it's great, no. especially for anyone who is like out there looking up to looking at your business as a sorry pun blueprint for you know what this kind of like next yeah. kind of step into beverage category is because it is it's transparency it's real ingredients and it's you know it's actually trying to evoke a feeling and a, and a and a and an emotion and actual experience yeah. and not just putting something static on the shelf so yeah yeah i think you just helped all of your potential competitors now understand <laughs> How to break in? <laughs> so. I, again, it's yeah, it's it's a. Um, <clears throat> I think the more people that are celebrating real ingredients, to me, is actually a benefit for these categories. You just have to have fortitude. You have to have sort of strength and some time and you know conviction that it's the right thing to do. And well, thank you for yes. hosting me. Thank you for being thank here. You. I feel like I could do a whole part two. Just I know. Selfishly <laughs> ask you. <laughs> We're going to do that offline. Questions, but yeah. Um, okay, well, thanks, Bob. Great. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number. At 800-674-1839. Or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info. And check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.